Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and to talk about Psalm 82, I'm delighted to be joined by Rachel Timms. Listeners, this is a strange psalm, and we try to do a little bit of ground clearing on who is even being talked about in Psalm 82. But even with the strangeness, I found in our conversation some beautiful things we can reflect and be reminded about God and who he is, his care for his people. So I hope you hear that in this episode and enjoy this conversation. Here's Rachel reading Psalm 82. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing and they walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. Rachel, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Thanks for having me back. That's kind of you to, to say that as I twist your arm. But wow, this, this is quite the psalm to come in for. Our first question is, what stood out to you in reading this psalm? Would you like me to go first on this? Sure, that would be great. (laughs) Because I can guess some things, at least, that stand out to any reader. And I had to go get some help. And so it might be helpful to share some of that help. Because the first thing, as you read, God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. I mean, the thing that stands out to me is who in the world are these gods? So I went and got some help from my trusty friend, Derek Kidner. And by my friend, I just mean I read his commentary. And he offers three ways that people have possibly interpreted who the gods are. One is that they are human agents who are sort of given divine-like titles in that they are representing God or standing in for God. They're sort of making God's judgments for people. The problem he says with that interpretation, at least in his suggestion, and it makes sense, is verse 7 doesn't really make sense why these people would then die like mere mortals, you will fall like every other ruler, why that would be any kind of condemnation, since if they are mortals, of course, that's going to happen. Another option he suggests, and well, he doesn't suggest this so much as he says that some people argue this, is it's sort of like a holdover from an old polytheism. And you have here sort of the people of Israel saying our God is better than Baal and all these foreign gods. But he says that doesn't really hold water because we don't see that polytheistic thread of belief throughout scripture. It's not consistent in other places. So why in one psalm would we suddenly have this robust evidence for this particular view? The third thing is the most likely that he suggests and that resonates, I think, with me too. And that is that these gods, the the word there is Elohim, which is actually the same word as God, but that they are spiritual beings and that what is being pictured here is the divine council, which doesn't mean anything to most of us because most of us aren't familiar with this language. But there's these moments in the Bible where sort of the curtain gets pulled back and we get a little sneak peek to there being spiritual realities that somehow correspond to sort of the earthly realities that you and I experience. 
We see this in the Apostle Paul when he talks about the powers and principalities. And he's not merely talking about human governments. He's clearly talking about some kind of spiritual, because he goes on to say our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against. So it's in contrast, right? You get glimpses of this in the book of Daniel, where there's talk about angels and sort of the the prince of a certain area, which appears to be a spiritual being, not an actual prince. You get a picture of this in Isaiah, where Isaiah says in chapter 24, verse 21, in that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. So it's this idea that what Kidner is suggesting, and I think what a number of people would suggest is that this is God not sitting with his divine counsel in terms of collaborative decision-making, but sitting in judgment over those he has designated to rule over the earth in this way. I, I, I was a little bit familiar with this idea. I didn't, didn't necessarily trigger for me clearly in Psalm 82 until I was reading that from Kidner, but the Bible Project has done a ton of work and podcasts on the divine counsel, which is really helpful if you're looking for another resource. But that's Kidner's suggestion of what's going on here. That's a lot of me talking, but I thought it might be a little bit of helpful preamble. Give me your thoughts in light of that or something else that stood out to you in the psalm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of how I pictured it. Yeah. At least verses like two through four. But then I don't really understand who's talking. Like I get very lost in the voice and pronouns in like verse five through eight. Yeah. And I tried looking back at like Psalm 81 for context and it didn't really help either. (laughs) So it does feel a bit like it's like kind of plopped in there in the middle of Psalm. So I don't know if you know, you know, when it says like the gods know nothing, they understand nothing. Like who is talking? Is that still God or is that the writer of the Psalm or is it someone else? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's not explicit. So that's a fair thing for it to stand out with. The NIV translators, which you, you read the NIV, use quotation marks all throughout. And they start the quotation marks in verse 2. And they end them after verse 7. If you notice, they actually don't close until the end of verse 7. So they're suggesting that this is all one sort of pronouncement from God. So he asked this question, how long he's given instructions for them to sort of act more justly. And then he says, but you know nothing. He says it kind of in this third person. Like, as I look at you, the gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. I said, you are gods, but you will die like mere mortals for for what you have done, for your failure to uphold justice. So that's one way. Some people sometimes say that verse five is sort of an aside. It's like the psalmist commentating on the scene. And then we return to God's pronouncement. Hmm. In verse 6, I think you can see reasons for either one. The thrust, I think, remains consistent. But yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) There's a lot of questions for this psalm. Let's move on to our second question. What do we learn about God or how do we encounter God in this psalm? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see him as like a ruler or judge of if we're kind of believing what we said in the first question yeah like of these spiritual beings like he's kind of giving out instructions which we see god do to his people but not necessarily to like a a middle party yeah like 
here's how I want you to take care of people. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an interesting, like we don't often see God depicted in that role, I feel like. No, we, we don't. I was thinking about God in this. Well, I love what you talked, kind of talked about these people in the middle. And like we've had a number of Psalms before where people have asked how long. And here I thought it was really interesting that the words get put in God's mouth. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? And it's like with the curtain closed, we start to wonder with all these realities, with this injustice, with partiality for the wicked, clearly in our world, there are people who are wicked who become powerful and seem to have great success. So we might start to wonder, whoever is in charge of all this, do they care? Are they are they just apathetic about what's going on in our world? And it's like the psalmist is pulling back the curtain saying, hey, there is more going on here than you realize. But at the very top of it all, there is a God who does care. And he's a God who has designated authority to, to spiritual powers and human powers but he is not uninterested in what is going on and he's going to call that to account. And there's something kind of, I mean, there's something both perplexing about that. If God's asking how long, why doesn't he just make something happen? But there's also something comforting. I think the point of the Psalm is the cry to God in the very last verse, rise up, O God, judge the earth for all the nations are your inheritance is a way of saying like, you do care about what's going on. And that's really significant in a world where it seems like injustice can easily be the way things go. Yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to do some more digging into the divine council Mm -hmm. with the Bible project that you mentioned because it does seem like they're kind of like a moot point. Yeah. Just in terms of like the Bible doesn't go into extensive like information about what a divine council would look like or how it affects us. And in this, like God's kind of like... Well, you're nothing. They, you all understand nothing. Like yes. you'll die like mere mortals. So it's kind of like, well, <laughs> like yeah. Do we really need to pay much attention to them if God's kind of like, oh gosh, you could, people are just like humans. You'll die anyway. Right. And maybe to bring this a little bit closer to us, I should have said this earlier. I use the word spiritual beings partly because that's the language the Bible Project uses. Kidner suggests that this is what the New Testament then begins to call angels. Right. So angels given sort of authority, whatever exactly that looks like. But then I think we're maybe a little bit more familiar with the idea of sort of angels going wrong and the fact that they might not always be wielding their authority properly as they're called. And in that respect, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying and I think it makes a lot of sense. It's like unnecessary middlemen. But also, like, if you think about it, like humans are unnecessary middlemen, like God creates humanity in his image to steward the earth on his behalf not necessary like part of the whole sure. biblical impulse is is like god who could do everything himself kind of willingly delegates authority to to beings he's in relationship with which is just something kind of interesting about god yeah that's a fair point it's weird but <laughs> yeah not the way I'd, i would like to do it but personally if, I, if i'm capable of doing it i like to do it myself but yeah he seems to want to share in some ways Mm-hmm.
The one other thing that maybe struck me just a little bit is the things he's interested in. And it's not around belief, but the fact that he's interested and he's commanding them to defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. There's nothing about right theology here. There's not, it's not even actually anything about right worship. Make sure, make sure the people you rule over worship me correctly. It's about this care for those who are not able to care for themselves. Yeah, it's just always interesting, right? The things that get highlighted for us as the things that God cares about. And those feel very consistent with all the other ways that God is described and the totally. people he cares about in the rest of the Psalms. So in that sense, it's not a weird Psalm. It's just some of the context surrounding it. Yeah, it's like the central message of it is very familiar and the wrapping is like totally bizarre. I don't know what an example is. It's like finding like your favorite candy in a mustard bottle or something. And you're like, what? <laughs> How does this go together? Well, let's move to our third question. Not, not a particularly easy one with this psalm either, but how does this psalm help us to pray? I think it's just interesting, like, it kind of gives you some confidence that God doesn't suffer fools. Like, hmm. he is not easily manipulated or deceived. Like, when you kind of picture, at least in my imagination, this, like, divine counsel who was showing partiality to the wicked and defending the unjust unjust yeah yeah like i kind of think they were probably doing that because they were gaining something from it mm. right like they were getting money passed under the table or whatever that is in spiritual world <laughs> terms sure. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i get um, what you mean but they you know you probably don't go against god unless you know there's some perceived benefit to it sure and so it's just clear that like god isn't gonna tolerate Hmm. that like you know he asked the question like how long will you but then he's also like yeah you're done like you're done you're gonna die like mere mortals you're nothing yeah so he doesn't necessarily offer a ton of like and we'll keep working on this again and again and again you know he's like not to these yeah yeah not in this case so i guess just some hope and confidence that when you pray like God doesn't like he yeah I don't know no keep keep going on this because I'm so interested because I feel like there's one way in which it's sort of terrifying because it's like am I the fool right and like, that's what I realized ob- trying I was... to obfuscate before God but but keep going keep going I mean there's part of that like that's maybe terrifying but also yeah. that like there's not a need for you to kind of put up this front because oh yeah that's so good he will see through it and so like let's just not waste time and be honest about Mm. what's going on so in that sense there's a little bit like yeah maybe you are the fool but like we don't need to pretend to be something we're not because he'll find out anyway (laughs) and so yeah you might as well just be honest so a little bit of terrifying but also maybe some mm, comfort's not exactly the right word but maybe some like relief that you don't have to put on a performance in front of god you don't if you're experiencing injustice you don't have to convince him that you're experiencing injustice right the the image (laughs) it's like a bunch of like upper management like and the ceo comes in and they're giving their reports and you can totally imagine like the people being you know like 
okay, well, we use toxic chemicals to do this, but look at the yield and like, you know, they're front loading the report with like the growth for the company and all these things. And God's just like flips to page 84, where it's like, and these are the toxic chemicals we use to make this happen. And he cuts right to it. Like there's not, there's no, there's no benefit here that outweighs the injustice that you're allowing to continue. And so then, yeah, with God, we don't have to like make sure that he sees page one of our report right and like shove that like please make sure you see this like i know like we don't have to worry about that like he will he will see our needs he will see the ways that we are hurting and he cares about them that i love i love that i think that's huge for the ways that we pray because it means we don't have to sort of rehearse for god to get him to care about what's going on in our life yeah and then when you think of him not suffering fools of kind of the spiritual counsel it's also comforting to know that god can't be manipulated yeah right right because yeah i mean if he could be then it suddenly raises questions about the promises he makes to us right so yeah the psalm kind of reassures in that respect Hmm. those are both i feel like better than anything i was gonna say i was i mean there's this cry the psalm we get the psalmist cry in the last verse of the psalm rise up O god judge the earth for all the nations are your inheritance and let me just draw on kidner again who makes this this great comment this is to quote him he says the psalm having traversed some of the ground which revelation will explore ends very much as that book ends with its come lord jesus true to the bible's emphasis it shows no further interest in the gods and their mysterious role only in god himself and his salvation and maybe it's a proper place to land this episode in that our heads can spin, especially as if we're maybe being introduced to some of this framework for the first time. And this, I came across it. I was reading this psalm in preparation for this conversation. I was like, I did not expect, I was not familiar with this psalm. I didn't realize this was kind of here, even though Jesus apparently actually quotes this psalm in John's gospel, or I mean, a part of it, right? He's not the whole thing. But I love that the Psalms landing place is about God and what he will do. And there's the details of the gods in quotes are irrelevant by the time the Psalmist calls on God in some ways. It's mysterious. It's beyond us. We get these peaks behind it, but it's not, it's not ultimately who we pray to. We don't pray to the divine council. We're invited to pray to God himself. And, uh, there's a gift to that. There's a generosity to that. And as you were talking about, there's a care that he has for us in that. So I don't have anything else on this psalm. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, yeah, that's a cool way to summarize the ending. Well, we'll, we'll thank commentators for the good work and their, their knowledge. Well, thanks, Rachel, for having this conversation about Psalm 82 with me. Always giving me the weird ones. <laughs> or in, the long ones. Not intentionally. <laughs> Not intentionally. Well, friends, we hope this conversation has been even slightly helpful. Go out and pray the songs. <laughs>